The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. you to turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. We continue on in our series, The Reconciling Work of Christ. Friends of my wife and I just recently returned to Syria to live and to serve quietly as witnesses for the gospel of Christ. They long for this land under the shadow of Islam to be restored to the light of the gospel. It was at Antioch in Syria that the New Testament disciples were first called Christians. Well, back in the days of Elisha, this land received a witness of the Lord's saving mercy. In our text this morning, we see that Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, receives the reconciling grace of God that reaches beyond racial boundaries. Please follow as I read in 2 Kings Chapter 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, which is Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh shall be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfer, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, 
My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. This is the word of the Lord our God. Let us pray. O great God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of us are familiar with the quest of Dorothy, sent by the great Oz to destroy the wicked witch of the West in return with her broomstick. The wizard will not send Dorothy home to Kansas without it. In a far more daunting task, the hobbit Frodo is sent by the Council of Elrond into the land of Mordor to destroy the Lord Sauron's ring of power in the fiery depths of Mount Doom. Each of these insignificant nobodies find themselves on adventures in circumstances and events far beyond their control. Through perseverance and the loyalty of others, these unsuspecting heroes accomplish their tasks, bringing surprising deliverance to many. In our text this morning, our main character, Naaman, is not insignificant, and he is not a nobody. He is a great hero one who has succeeded on many conquests. He is a man of great stature and highly regarded in the eyes of his master, the king of Syria. He is and has everything a man could want. He has wealth, power, influence, a sterling record. But he does have one problem. He is a leper. Naaman is determined and prepared to go out on a quest to pay any price and to do any great deed to find a cure to this dreadful disease. But what he will find is most unexpected. The surprising and simple wonder of God's amazing grace. It is unlikely that Naaman had what we call Hansen's disease, which is what's normally referred to when we think of leprosy. This kind of leprosy has been described as death by a thousand inches. Its victims lose feeling and control over the extremities. 
It is more likely that Naaman had some kind of problematic and painful skin disorder. In in Israelite culture, he would have been excluded from service in high office and from participation in public worship. Such an affliction falls upon Miriam, the sister of Moses, and King Uzziah of Judah, consequences of their sin of pride before the Lord. We find lepers in the days of Jesus who are desperate for relief, both from their physical sufferings and to have restoration to their families and religious life. Whatever the nature of Naaman's skin condition, he is quite eager and will go to great lengths to find a cure. What good is all his success, wealth, and power? if he cannot enjoy it. Naaman is a man of action. He is used to getting his way. As soon as he hears the report from his wife, from the little girl, little servant girl, he wastes no time in securing permission from the king of Syria. His king and master is quite willing to grant the request and sends him with a letter of reference. Naaman goes prepared with enough money to pay a year's salary to 600 men. He goes straight to Israel's king, assuming that power and control rested in the hands of the king. He dismisses this holy man of God as a mere lackey, one who served the purposes of the king, called upon to perform doing the biddings of the wealthy and powerful. And yet when the king of Israel hears this impossible request, he despairs and he accuses the Syrians of picking a fight. His reaction betrays fear, self-pity, and man-centeredness. In contrast, when Elisha hears of the turmoil in the king's court, he offers a rebuke to the king and invites Naaman to his home. His response reveals strength, compassion, and a God-centered outlook. One gets the impression that Naaman was more comfortable standing before the court of Israel's king than before the doorway of Israel's prophet. All of his pomp, pageantry, and show of power seem out of place. Elisha simply sends a messenger and says, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. You have to love Elisha's blatant disregard for social customs and proper ceremony. Where are his manners? This camel-skin-wearing, locust-and-honey-eating prophet from the boonies dismisses Naaman without a greeting and sends him off with the briefest and most ridiculous of instructions. Naaman is furious. Is this a joke? What kind of process is this. This approach does not fit his expectations. He is offended at the simplicity and the silliness of this task. We can only imagine Naaman second-guessing himself, thinking himself a fool for believing the suggestion of his little servant girl. How stupid of me to believe in fairy tales. This is all just a sham religion. Well, sadly, that is how some view the Christian gospel. 
Its message offends the sophisticated who are only required to believe in and follow a long-dead teacher whom we claim is alive again. Naaman heaps scorn and ridicule upon Israel and its muddy little creek. His pride of home place prevents him from respecting anything good from coming out of this pathetic land. That is how many in our culture view the church. They see us as backwoods, oddballs, with nothing of value to offer to modern, secular society. Our views on the Bible, evolution, science, morals, and ethics are all wrong. They cannot conceive of condescending to our level to consider that we might have an important message for them to hear. Well, thankfully, Naaman's servants are wise and bold to question their master and to try to reason with him. If Elijah had asked him to do some great difficult thing, would he not have done it? How much more so this very small and simple thing? It would hardly cost him anything in terms of time and money. Naaman listens and heeds the instructions of the prophet. To his great relief and utter amazement, his flesh is restored. The text says that his skin becomes like that of a young boy, a little child. It's the same group of words that's used to describe the little servant girl, only in the masculine sense. Naaman had to become as weak, as dependent, as this little servant girl. In order to be made whole again, Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, all along, Naaman had assumed that religion was a matter of social control. The gods helped the successful. Naaman thought that he could get what he wanted through his accomplishments He was after a God whom he could put in his debt. But God puts everyone in his debt. The God of Israel is not on a leash. He cannot be appeased. He cannot be bought. Naaman was willing to pay a great price, to do some great deed like the 12 tasks of Hercules. But he was unwilling to do this small thing for free. This task required no attainment and no ability whatsoever. All his life, Naaman had been dependent upon the grace of God, but he didn't even know it. If you want God's grace, all you need is nothing. In the song that we sang earlier, we find we have my favorite line in all of hymnody from Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Like Eustace, in the voyage of the Don Treader, desperately seeking to wash himself in this robe of his dragon skin, 
So we are helpless to set ourselves free from our wretched sin nature. We cannot purify our leprous hearts. Just as Eustace needed Aslan, you and I need Christ to set us free and to make us clean once again. Well, we could stop there and consider Naaman's message, but if we did so, we would miss another very important message from this text. In fact, we almost completely overlook her. There's an unsung hero in this story. She's not even given a name. How was it that Naaman even knew to go to Israel to look for Elisha? His little servant girl spoke up. Why did she share this with her mistress? Wasn't her master the very man who was responsible, who had led the raid upon her hometown, who very likely had killed her father and brothers, separating her from her mother and the rest of her kin? Her life was ruined. She is far from home, cut off from her people. Her dreams are crushed. And she's forced for the rest of her life to serve a pagan enemy. Why would she possibly want to serve Naaman? Would not revenge have been sweet? To watch him waste away in his agony. Is that not what he deserved for causing her such misery? I believe, like Joseph, the little servant girl was not medicating herself, fantasizing with bitter revenge. She had experienced something of the healing mercy of our gracious God. She shows sympathy to the very man who is responsible for her suffering. She is like Frodo, who pities Gollum, Frodo knows that Gollum is a scoundrel, but he also knows the burden of bearing this ring, its seductive power. And he can see past the treachery into Gollum's own tormented soul. This little servant girl illustrates for us that forgiveness is costly. God's grace, while being freed to the recipient, comes at great cost to the giver. This nameless little girl forgave her enemy and so became the vehicle for his healing and salvation. Like Frodo, like this little girl, Jesus pities us who are scoundrels. He knows the heavy burden we bear even though we cannot possibly comprehend the weightiness of the burden he bore for us. The Lord of glory became a nobody and was scorned and ridiculed by the rich and the powerful. He overcame a task that would have crushed Hercules. He paid the debt that no amount of wealth on earth could ever possibly cover. When we embrace Jesus... And his sacrifice, we begin to understand that salvation does not require any great thing from us. 
it was accomplished by a great thing that Jesus did for us. And when we experience the reconciling grace of Christ, we are enabled to pity those whom we would normally and naturally despise. Only when we can identify with others who are slaves to sin, can we show them the same reconciling grace that the Father has shown, us to, shown to us in his Son. There are many that we might be tempted to hate. Those who look different, dress different, talk different, worship differently who believe differently about government and politics. Like Israel, we could despise our neighbors who threaten our peace and our economic security. The cross of Christ levels the pride of all human culture and racial prejudice. At the cross, where God reconciled himself to his enemies, we find the grace to extend the ministry of reconciliation, even to those who would pose us harm. A boy of 16 was tending sheep off the coast of Wales when raiders invaded from the sea, taking him captive and returning him to their land as a slave. For six years, he was deprived of the comfort and care of his loving family. His freedom was denied him that he might serve the will of a hostile and pagan people. In the providence of God, he was given opportunity to escape, to return and be reunited with his own people. We can only imagine the hatred and the contempt he may have had towards his captors. But a vision from God... And the grace of Christ compelled him to return to this dark land and preach the gospel. He dwelt among these people for years and was used by God to convert untold numbers to Christ. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day next month in memory of this hero who overcame his pride of racial prejudice a heart transformed by the grace of the one who came to die for his enemies. May we, like Patrick, like this little servant girl, yearn for all peoples of the world to be reconciled to God. May we cry out in the words of our Lord, turn to me and be saved, all you peoples of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. Let us pray. Our gracious and merciful God, you who have reconciled us through the precious blood sacrifice of your Son, we who were once enemies and children of wrath have been adopted and loved and accepted in the Beloved. Oh, Father, grant us grace that we might be your witnesses, that we may carry on the ministry of reconciliation in the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.